All right, so we're in Lesson 21. We're going to continue in this second section. We only got a few more, I think one more uh, lesson in this section before we move on to another section of individual Proverbs. But we're in, a, we're in a second section of Proverbs, which is some individual Proverbs contrasting righteousness with wicked living. And what we're going to see here is that these are individual Proverbs. They're not necessarily in any order, but they're just individual Proverbs discussing various aspects of life in general. So let's look at uh, verse 26 and 27. We're going to look at the issue of the fear of the Lord and a couple of things we want to see there. Verse 26 and 27 of chapter 14. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and the children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn away from the snares of death. Okay, so here's the first thing I want you to see. Verse 26, this is a great verse. If you want to put a star by this, this is a good verse for you and I to live our lives by. Reverential fear of the Lord leads to security. Reverential fear of the Lord leads to security. Here's what Solomon is saying. If you and I live our lives in fear of God, so like you're consciously going throughout the day and you are very much considerate of every aspect of your life from how you talk to how you act towards others to how you are in general. That's called living in the fear of the Lord. You are thinking in terms of God with reference to every area of your life. That's going to lead to security. Now you say, now what do you mean by this whole issue of security, George? Here, well, I'll explain what I'm talking about. Have you ever noticed that when you are in sin, when you are dwelling in sin, let's say you're struggling with a sin habit, and you know what it is because it's on your mind all the time. Because if you're not right with God, it's on your mind. The Holy Spirit is going to be talking to you about it. Have you noticed the feelings that you have concerning your relationship with God at that time? What kind of feelings do you have concerning your relationship with God at that time when you're not right with Him? What's that? Distant? Okay. Linda says distant. Anybody else? You're not concerned, Bruce says. Anybody else? Okay, you don't have any feelings for God. Mabel says guilty is what Marilyn said. Okay. How about, in, what were you going to say? Okay, you're mad at God, Rod said. How about this? How about you're insecure? How about you're insecure? How about when you're not living right and you're not doing right, Yes, all of these other things are true, but you can also get to the point where you're very insecure about your relationship with Him. So then you try to overcompensate. Now you say, what do you mean by that, George? You try to overcompensate for those feelings of insecurity because you want to get back into God's good graces, so to speak. So then you overcompensate by many things, like, for instance, giving more. Some people might give more money. Well, I'm giving more, God. Or being involved more. Like every time the doors open, you're there because you're trying to feel good with God now that everything's okay with Him because you're insecure. You ever notice we do those kind of things? You read the Bible more. You pray more. You do all of these things because of your insecure feelings 
because you're not right with God. Now, did you, now that's what we do to try to do it. Does any of that stuff lead to security? Now, here's what he's saying. What leads to security? The fear of the Lord. See, all this stuff doesn't, quote, make us right with God. It's coming to God, recognizing who He is, and bowing to His will. And bowing to His will. And, and coming to Him and asking Him for forgiveness. But yet, living now your life in such a way that you're going to live in light of what? The fear of the Lord. See, this is where the security issue comes in. This is where the security issue is. A lot of us are insecure in our relationship with God, aren't we? And so what we'll do is, here's what we'll do. We'll say, well, i just got to do more stuff. But you ever notice you get defeated when you try to do that stuff? You get frustrated? Well, I'm reading my Bible, but I just don't have that. Did you ever think that it might be the sin issue? Did you ever think it might be the sin issues that you're not dealing with in your life? See, it's the fear of God, living your life in the fear of the Lord, that what? Brings security. And that's what Solomon is trying to tell you here. Notice now the next one. Here's going to talk about life now because you're thinking, well, man, George, come on. Are you telling me i got to live my... But that's bondage to be thinking like that all day long. Listen, if you start, you're going to start living that way. Because notice what the next verse says. Because the fear... Let me just stop for a moment. The fear of the Lord is not something you should be terrified of. Let me just stop for a moment and say that. The fear of God, even though it's a terrifying... We're talking about living in, with a fear of God and His judgment. But it should not be a negative thing. It should be a positive thing for your life. Just like a child, the fear of their parents should not be a negative thing. It should be what? A positive thing in their life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now look with me at verse 27. Notice what he says there. The fear of the Lord is, the, is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Here's what it says. The reverential fear of the Lord brings life and longevity as it protects. Here, I've got to say this. Man, we, can I tell you the number one frustrating thing for me as a pastor today in this culture it's in our culture. It's not around the world. It's in this culture. The number one frustrating thing to me about Americans today is that we're going to pick and choose what we want to listen to in this book. We want to pick and choose. And we're going to say, well, you know, hey, that's, that's good enough for you, but I want to do something different. Yeah, I know God's Word says that. But, you know what, I want his blessing over here. I don't want him to have control of this part of my life. Because somehow in our mind, we've got this mentality that we have developed that God's out to ruin my life. God's out to rob me of happiness. God's out to just stifle anything that I want to do. And that's reality. That's, and so we just pick and choose. Pick and choose. Pick and choose. So you're one way at work, and another way here, and another way there. And that's not life. And all of a sudden you're wondering, man, why is my life chaos? Why am I having these problems? Well, can I tell you something? When you step out of what God's will is, you step out of God's will, and you're on your own. And so when you pick and choose, you're picking and choosing the consequences you want to face. Because when God tells you not to do something, 
He's doing it for your good. For instance, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. I live on Anderson Avenue. Everybody knows that right down here by the creek. Well, not everybody drives real slow on that road. And my house is close to the road. There's probably 10 feet in front of the yard before there's the road there. And I'm constantly telling the kids, they love their scooters, and so they love riding down the driveway, and sometimes they'll shoot out into the road. Well, that just scares the bejeebies out of me. Because I see how fast my neighbors are going. It says 25, they're doing 75. <laughs> like they got to get down to the end of the road for a stop sign. And I'm telling them, stop. Now, my kids are thinking, oh, Dad doesn't want me to have a good time. Dad's trying to squash me because if I, I can build up more speed and boom, kick on out there. No, Dad wants them to be alive. Dad wants them to be okay. Do you, you see how we have adopted the attitude like little children? We need to start thinking like adults. And start thinking in terms of God's Word as what? Life-giving. See, that's what he says here. The fear of the Lord, reverentially fearing God and what he wants for your life, will what? Bring life and longevity as it protects you. See, that's some two powerful points there. And I'll be honest with you, I am frustrated. I am sick. I'll just, be, I'll just flat out say, I am sick of the excuses Christians give today for the stuff in their lives. And they won't deal with it. And I'll be honest with you, it grieves the heart of God. I'm sick of it. Well, let's move on. Political power. Look at verse 28. Oh, no, George, we've got to talk about that. Well, Solomon is. Let's look at what he says here. Verse 28. In a multitude of people is a king's honor, but in a lack of people is the downfall of a prince. Here, here's, here's the point. This is just reality. You see this today. This is what's going on on your TV screen as we approach the Iowa caucuses. Here's what he says. Political power is based on the number of people who follow. That's just reality. Political power is based on the number of people who follow. So now you're, you're seeing that all over your TV. So everybody's whipping out their star power now, you know. You know, Chuck Norris over here and Oprah over here. And, and who else knows who's going to come out of the woodwork? And all it is is to what? This point right here. This is what Solomon is saying. Solomon is saying political power is based on the number of people who will what? Follow. That's what political power is based on. Political power is based on the number of people who will follow. And that's just the issue. You understand what I'm saying? Because sometimes, here, out, you get frustrated with the fact that I can't believe that so-and-so, I can't believe who would vote for him. Ever had said, make a statement like that? Enough people did that they got an office. Enough people did that they got an office. Why? Because political power is based on the number of people who will follow. Okay, look now at verse 29. We're going to look at the issue of patience. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Now notice what he's saying here. Here he's saying patience is the evidence of understanding. Patience is the evidence of understanding. If you are a patient person, you are evidencing to others around you that you have knowledge and understanding. 
Because if you are a fool, how are you going, are you going to be patient? No, you're going to react immediately. You're going to react immediately. Okay, now look at the issue now, verse 30. We're going to look at the issue of contentment. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Okay, here's, here's the point. It is healthy to find contentment. You know, this, this is the verse. This, let's, let's make verse 30 the Christmas verse. You say, what do you mean? Verse 30 is the Christmas verse because you're out there. You've got two, what, today and tomorrow, two days left for Christmas buying. And, and so, I'll take one for instance. I'll just throw it out there because I know this is the number one thing, according to the news, the number one toy that everybody wants, the Wii, the Nintendo Wii. Some of you are like, what is that? It's a video gaming system where, you know, you can bowl or you can do whatever, you know, and have fun, you know, and box and, you know, you know all of that stuff. It's the number one game this Christmas, and you can't find it anywhere can't find it anywhere. So if you are like what Solomon says here, if you are, envy is the rottenness in bones. And so here's what happens is, is I'll just use that as an illustration, because some of you probably say, I couldn't care less about that, George. Yeah, but grasp the point I'm making. Grasp the point I'm making. Here's the point I'm making. You begin to envy that somebody else has something, and it will eat away at your soul. It is rottenness to the bones. That's what Solomon is saying here. And so what he's saying is a sound heart, a contented heart, is life to the body. A sound heart, a contented heart, is life to the body. Contentment brings life. Because when you're envying, have you noticed, when you get starting to get consumed, then what happens? That's all you think about. So you like you go to the side end. And you see the gun that Bruce is using. And you're saying, you know, my gun just doesn't shoot right anymore. I need to have one like Bruce. You know? Or I need to have one like Rod. Or I need to have one like Dustin has. You know? And, you know, and so you begin to, and, and, and you just kind of hang out at Grice's and you look and it's out of your price range. It's out of your price range. Or you see one, and it's there. And you think, well, today's the day. I've got the money. I'm going to go get it. And you walk in. The guy before you buys it. And you're just sick to your stomach. Think, haven't you had that feeling before? You're just like sick. Why? Because you're consumed with envy. That's really the bottom line issue. Because, I mean, think about it. If you were content. I mean, yeah, I can understand getting sick about a guy. But, I mean... I mean, think about it. Think about it. That's what Solomon, the point he's making here now. Look at now at look at verse 31, the treatment of the poor. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. So here's the point. How people treat the poor displays their faith in the Creator. How you treat people who are down and out, how you treat people who have nothing, how you treat the poor displays your faith in the Creator. Displays your faith in the Creator. That's just the bottom line point. That says, speaks and says it enough as it is. Okay, look at verse 32. The wicked is banished in his wickedness, and the righteous has a refuge in his death. 
So here we're going to talk about confidence. Those who trust in the Lord have security in disaster, whereas the wicked have none. Hey, we've talked about this before. Have you noticed that when you face that, when you face calamity in your life, and you will, when you face difficult situations, what carries you through it? What should carry you through it, Christian? Yeah, hope in the Lord, trust in the Lord, faith in the Lord should carry you through it. Now, think about the person who doesn't have that. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the point that Solomon is making. The wicked don't have any trust or they don't have anything to rest in. This is what Solomon's point is, and that's, that's a great point. This is what carries you through. In fact, let me just go ahead and say this. Nowhere in the Scripture does the Bible promise you that everything is going to be okay. Do you understand me? Nowhere in the Scripture does it say, here, you got saved, I'm going to give you an exemption card from suffering. In fact, what did Jesus say? You follow me, you will suffer. So I want you to understand something. So don't blame God when something happens. That's the life we live in. But what I wanted you to see is that as we live the life that God has given us, He has given us things to help us through the suffering. What's that? Our hope in Him. Our trust in Him. Our look to the future beyond this life. See, that'll carry you through. That'll carry you through. Okay, now notice now, look at the issue of wisdom. Verse 33. Wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding. But what is in the heart of fools is made known. So here, the greatest amount of wisdom resides in those who have discernment. The greatest amount of wisdom resides in those who have discernment. Wisdom rests in a man. It, it, it's, you know, he, he cherishes it. He has it in his heart. He has it close to him. But a fool, whatever he has, it's just displayed all out. And obviously he doesn't have much. But what you see in a fool and the way he acts and the way he lives his life and the way he carries on, that shows what kind of wisdom he has. Okay? Shows what kind of wisdom he has. Now look at verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. All right, here's what I want you to do. If you don't mind writing in your Bible. Verse 34 is a verse that you need to put a star by. When you pray for our country, you need to think about this verse. Because this is true and it's manifesting itself today in our country. Notice what it says again. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So when you pray for our nation, here's what it says. The prosperity and blessing of a nation depends on its righteousness. The prosperity and blessing of a nation depends on its righteousness. Now, this should scare you. You say, what do you mean? Have you noticed that times are tough? We have enemies that are springing up all around us, to the south. Over, and it's not just a terrorism thing. We've got all kinds of enemies. We've got Chinese. We've got Iranians. we got all I mean, we're, you know, we're saying we're... We've got people down, left this down in South America. That's just outside. Do you ever notice? All of a sudden, it just poof, just popped up like daisies. Dandelions, I should say. Just popped up like dandelions. And 
Look at the economy in our country. It doesn't make sense. But it does if you know this verse. You see, I think we're, we're reaping the consequences of our sins in this country. We say, what can I do about it, George? There's nothing I can do about it. I'm trying to do my best. Yeah, but are you praying for your country? Are you praying for the country? When you turn the news off, do you pray for your country? See, this is the point. Righteousness will exalt a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin, look, we've got a lot of sin that's just a flat-out reproach to us. Really? Yeah, just turn on your TV and watch it with a discerning eye. And that's just the scraping of the surface of what's going on in our country. And we're sitting back and we're saying, oh, I wish we could have something different. Are you praying? Are you praying? That's where we're heading. That's where you're heading. Prosperity and the blessing of a nation depends on its righteousness. Look at verse 35, the issue. Service. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. Here's the point. A servant's competence will affect the king's attitude towards him. Boy, isn't this true? Let's just take it one step further, a little bit lower. You who are in charge of people, maybe you're a manager, maybe you're a business owner, maybe you're a foreman or whatever it is, have you noticed that the confidence of the person working for you affects your attitude towards them? Have you ever noticed that a hardworking guy, you've got a good attitude towards them, but that good for nothing? I mean, on your best day, you can't treat him right. You know what I'm saying? On your best. You may even go into work today and say, I'm going to treat Billy Bob good today. And then you see Billy Bob and see what he's doing, and it's like, boom, you're back, and you're like, you know, you're mad again. That's the point he's saying here. A servant's confidence will affect the king's attitude towards it. Now look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. We're going to talk about the issue of speech. A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pour forth foolishness. Here's what he's saying. First of all, look at verse 1. The way one answers another person will have an effect on the response. I found this to be true. I'll give you a vulnerable moment. The other day I was uh, calling, I was talking to somebody, some operator somewhere, and they were they were calling me. I don't know why they were calling me, and I wanted them to quit calling me. So I talked to this lady. And I said, "Why are you calling me?" My tone set the tone for the conversation because then when she heard my decibel level raise, guess what she did? She raised her decibel level. It was only when I backed off that she backed out. That's how we've gotten today in our society, hasn't it? Just notice it. Try that this week. Try that this week. How you raise your voice level with people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, immediately, you know, set sparks flying. And that's, we're very intolerant today. I think part of it is coming out of this verse is that harsh words, what? Harsh words stir up anger. And people got a lot of pent up anger. Pent up anger. So the way one answers another person will have an effect on the response. Here, look now, verse 2. 
Verse 2 says the wisdom of a person can be determined by what they say. How a person responds or what they say reflects their wisdom. Because notice what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says the tongue of the wise uses knowledge, what? Rightly. But the mouth of fools, what? Pour out what? Foolishness. They're going to pour out more foolishness. So when you're talking to somebody, I'm going to be honest with you. When you talk to somebody, you can determine where they're at by how they respond and how they talk. And so I'll be honest with you. You ever get frustrated talking to a foolish person? It's like it's like trying to break through wood, trying to break through the concrete, trying to get to this. Can I be honest with you? You're wasting your air. You're wasting your vocal cords. You're wasting your breath. As soon as you realize that I'm not dealing with a teachable person, you just need to let it go. And pray that they'll come to the place of understanding because you're just wasting time. So the wisdom of a person can be be determined by what they say. Look now at verse 3. We're going to talk about the omniscience of God. Here, another, another verse you can put a star by. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now here, notice what he says. The Lord knows everyone and everything completely. Hey, can I tell you something? Maybe you're not aware of this. You're being watched. What? I said, you're being watched. Well, yeah, I know my kids are watching. I'm not talking about kids. Well, I know my neighbors. I'm not talking about your neighbors. You're being watched. Can I tell you who's watching you? Well, first of all, this verse says God is. God sees everything. Nothing is hidden from Him. Can I tell you that the Scriptures also tell us that angels watch you? In fact, hey, I'll give you an example. We know that we have witnesses. Scripture Paul talks about we have witnesses in heavenly places. We have witnesses, angelic beings who watch us. But Acts also gives us a picture that demons watch you. You say, what do you mean? When you go to the passage in Acts that talks about the sons of Sceva, and, you know, they wanted to cast the demon out of the person, and the sons of Sceva, you know, the guy, the demonic person says, you know, they try to do it in the name of Jesus and, and Paul. And they say, well, Jesus I know and Paul I know. What your English translation doesn't bring out is, is the word know and know. Jesus I know. That word know for Jesus and Paul I know are two different words. One is a word of knowledge of fact. Jesus, I know by fact, is God, is what they're saying. The other one is a knowledge by observation. The demons were saying, Jesus, I know by fact. Paul, I know by observation. So the demons were saying, we know Paul by observing him. So what am I trying to say to you here? This verse brings out a point that you and I need to be aware of. You are not alone. Not only does God see you, but you are witnessed by others, too. See, can I be honest with you, Christian? You just don't live in this temporal world. 
The Scripture talks about that you live in a spiritual world too. If you can't see, there's a spiritual world going on around you. And it's real. So think about that as far as how you live your lives. You are being observed. You're being observed. And guess what? You wonder, how does he know what to tempt me with? Because he watches you. He watches you. He knows how to tempt you. He knows how to tempt you because he watches you. He watches you. I'm not talking about God there either. Look at verse 4. That was a little deviation off of there, but I thought that was a good point to make in light of the fact that God sees everything. Look at verse 4. The wholesome tongue is the tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Here's the point. Again, the issue of speech. What a person says can bring either healing or harm. Here, I want you to understand this point. So, the Proverbs, the Scripture, especially the Proverbs, are going to make this point repeatedly. Your words are not meaningless. Your words are not meaningless. You need to grasp that point. I want you to say that with me. My words are not meaningless. Well, say that with me. My words are not meaningless. Why do I want you to grasp that point? Because your words to somebody is either going to bring healing or harm. Your words to someone is either going to bring healing or harm. You're either going to lift them up or you're going to beat them down. For instance, you ever notice that when you're at work and you've got a bunch of people, they're just talking trash, they're talking filth, you just get to the point where you just can't stand to be there anymore. You've got to get out of there to get some fresh air. Because it's just weighing down on you. The reason why, right here, look at what it says, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Words are not meaningless. They will either bring healing or harm. Hey, let me just go ahead and say this. Let me just give you an encouragement here, based upon this verse. If you see somebody who's going through it, even if it was their stupid mistake that caused them to go through it, that is not the time for you to point out what they did wrong. Because the chances are they already know that what they're going through is because of what they did wrong. There will be a time to tell them this is what happened because of what they did wrong. What you need to do is bring words of what? Healing. They need to be healed first before they can find an understanding of what's wrong. See, what we want to do, because here's what I'm saying, you're going to come across by somebody who's kicking them when they're down. And how many of you have been through that, where you have gone through something, and even if it was your mistake, there were some so-called friendly Christians who came by and who just told you that the reason why you're going through this is because of something you did. How many of you had somebody do that to you? Raise your hand. Be real. How did you feel about that? Bruce is real. He said angry. Did you feel uplifted, Bruce? You felt like somebody just walked on your heart, didn't you? Yeah, you felt like smacking him. How many of you feel like Bruce? More people are being honest now. How did you feel about the person who came by and loved you and gave you words of encouragement? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can talk to you later about it, but not right then when, you're, when the wound is open. Okay, Bruce says later you would be more willing to listen to them. See, this is the point I'm trying to tell you. 
See, your words aren't meaningless. There's a time and a place for everything. There's a time and a place for everything. But some of us feel we have been given a license in the Spirit to help people out by telling them what's wrong. So here, I'm going to do you a favor. As your pastor, I revoke your license. I revoke your license. You don't have that license. You don't. There will be a time for it. Learn the time to say it. It's not when people are hurting. Learn the time to say it. It's not when people are hurting. And because Bruce is right, they'll be more apt to listen to you later after you love them than if you blast them right now. Then if you blast them right now. Okay, notice now verse 5, the issue of discipline. The fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. So here's the issue of discipline. How well one responds to discipline reveals his character. How well one responds to discipline, correction, reveals their character. So you're going to know the character of a person by how they respond to correction. How they respond to correction. Look at verse 6 now, the issue of reward. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. So, first of all, righteous living generally results in prosperity. So, again, let me just qualify that word prosperity. I'm not talking to you about prosperity in the sense of Hollywood rich. That's not what we're talking about here. It's talking, though, in terms of not having a great need. You understand, it's in terms of living in contentment. you got to qualify everything with what the Scripture says. We're not talking about you having lots and lots of money. That's not what we're talking about here. So, righteous living generally results in prosperity. But money acquired by the wicked, by wicked results, results in trouble. Money acquired by the wicked results in trouble. Or look at verse 7 again, the issue of speech. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. Here's what happens. Wise people spread knowledge when they speak, whereas the fool does not understand. Wise people spread knowledge when they speak, whereas the fool, he doesn't understand. He doesn't, he doesn't communicate because he doesn't understand wisdom. Look at verse 8 now, the issue of worship. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. So notice now. The spiritual condition of the worshiper determines the acceptance of his worship. The spiritual condition of the worshiper determines... The acceptance of his worship. So, can I be honest with you? Remember in the Gospels, Jesus will say, if you go to the altar to make a sacrifice, and you remember that there is a brother who has something against you, it says what? Leave your offering at the altar and go and make it right, then come back and offer it. Why? Because your heart condition, if there's unsettled issues, affects your worship. And affects God's acceptance of your worship. How about the instance of prayer? If I regard iniquity in my heart, Psalm says, what? He will not hear me. Gentlemen, he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, 
That if I don't treat my wife right, he will not hear my prayers? Whoa! Pretty serious thing, isn't it? So we talk about the issue of worship. Let's go on. Three more verses here. Verse 9, the conduct. The way of the wicked... The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. God is pleased with those who seek righteousness, but hates the sin of the sinner. God is pleased with those who seek righteousness, but hates the sin of the sinner. Look now at verse 10, the issue of discipline. Harsh discipline is for him who... For who forsakes the way, but he who hates correction will die. So here's what he says. Discipline awaits those who go astray, but death awaits those who refuse correction. Discipline is awaiting those who go astray. But if you want to just forsake correction in general, death awaits is what he says. And then finally, verse 11 the issue of omniscience. One more time. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the sons of men. So here's the point. The Lord knows every intent of every individual. Here's what he's saying, just so that you grasp the reality. Here's what he's saying. Hell and destruction are ever before God. He's not aware. He is not ever at a point where he's not aware of hell and the destruction of it. And here's what he says. In light of that, he's aware of everything that's in our hearts. Nothing's hidden from him. You can't keep anything from God. Don't try. Okay, let's close our time in prayer. 